I'm Jeff Reed. I'm Greg Killian. And this is the From First to Last podcast. First to Last Podcast, the podcast where my friend Craig and I, we get together each week. We work our way through a director's theatrical filmography from their first film all the way through to their last. And we are talking Tim Burton. Yes, we are. Good we, on, Mr. Burton. Do you know what's crazy, Craig? This is actually our 14th episode so far. For Mr. Burton? Yep. Oh, damn. We just crack it with Burton. We're only about seven movies in, but there's just literally so much content to talk about. With Tim Burton. Oh, freaking... And, and, you know, like, each movie isn't just a small little chit-chat. You know what I mean? No. Gets carried away. Even the ones you, you dis... Well, even the ones I don't like as much as others, you still so much to talk about. There's yep. always a conversation starter. 100%. And He's a punky instigator. He is. He certainly is. He likes to buck the trend a little bit, doesn't he? Yes, he does. So, we are having an absolute cracker of a time this season. I, every week, feel so excited... To record, one, because we get to talk about the film, but actually because I'm, like, so excited to get to the next film. Yeah, I know. You know in a weird way. No, I don't... no, no. There's, there's nothing weird. It's those movies we grew up with. hundred percent. And so it's like, it, it was funny. I was saying to uh, Kathy Lee before we recorded, I was like, Kathy, I'm so excited tonight to talk. Craig and I are going to record two episodes tonight, so we will be talking uh, Sleepy Hollow after this. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I can't wait to talk Sleepy Hollow because then it means this week I get to go watch Planet of the Apes. And I was like so excited <laughs> for that. So I think it's been every week we've been like, can't wait to talk Mars Attacks because then we'll get to get to what today's episode is, Craig. Yeah. Which is we're going to talk Superman Lives. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Death of Superman Lives. Yeah, we'll be drawing on the documentary The Death of Superman Lives. Yep. Uh, it's pretty much the penultimate source material. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great source material. Yeah, and, and it is. It's a documentary, uh, and pretty much what they, they've done is it was actually really fascinating. It was a crowdsourced documentary. Oh, yeah, there's some parts you could tell. Yeah, and they've like when of, he first came out, I was like, "Oh my god, this is almost like to catch a predator." You know, he's got yeah, like three, yeah. three screens behind him. This is Billy. Yeah, <laughs> and and he was John Schnepp was actually a a writer for places like Collider and a lot of those online outlets. Uh, I thought I knew his name and, from somewhere. Uh, sadly, passed away a few years ago. Oh no! Yeah, um, just got really ill. I can't for the life of me remember what it was, but yeah, it took everyone a bit by surprise. Oh, when that's it a happened. shame. So, um. Unfortunately, like, I think that was the hope that he would start doing these sort of documentaries about unmade films. Yeah. And you'd get this really in-depth look at it. And what's great about this documentary is that there's so much, for so long Superman Lives had this aura of mystery around it. Yes. Um, but also a little aura of disgrace. Very much so. It was, it was sort of like a... A redheaded stepchild in that sort of oh quote yeah unquote. yeah it was the it was the um it was the bullet dodged yes very much so so today we we are acknowledging right now that this is not a finished Tim Burton film no 
And as a result, we're sort of doing a mini slash maxi episode. So, yeah, you know, exactly. Forty-five minute. Uh, we're going to dive into it a bit. Tell you a little bit about it because it's a major part of Burton's journey. This is this is a tale of he jumped back into a world he said he'd never jump back into. Yep. Being the superhero genre, because yep. obviously uh, the two Batman films took quite a toll mm. on Tim Burton, and. So he was sort of, we'll get there a bit more later, but they took a bit, bit of convincing to get him to jump on board for Superman. Mm. And then that project really goes pear-shaped. In And there's a few contributing factors which the documentary talks about. So if you haven't seen it, the documentary is called The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened? Yeah. And it's incredible. We get producer John Peters and his <laughs> glorious mane of hairs there. Isn't oh, my it? God, great. man. That dude is just a douche producer oh man I, we got to take a moment here there is a scene in the middle of the towards the end of the movie and <laughs> oh yeah yeah and he, he gets a phone, phone call I was, it was so funny when we were watching before the before he answered the, i was like is that a fucking phone i thought the same thing as well mm. and then the phone rings and he sort of like just turns into this douchey it was like yeah. a stereotypical producer isn't it oh man and then just everything is just <laughs> And how many times he talks about street fighting? Yes, just shocks me. Oh, but so John Peters, we're going to give it a little bit of context. We're going to jump all over the place, but let's just before we get into John Peters, because I want to talk so much about oh, him. God. He is so he fascinating. Is, he's quite a character. He, I, I would love. He's such a braggart. I'd love to have dinner with him. Oh, could you I know imagine? He, just, he wouldn't stop talking just to impress you. Yeah, and I just, I'd be. I'd be impressed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I wouldn't trust so him with fucking, I wouldn't trust him with Ethan. I'd love to fucking have oh, dinner with a man. man. I wouldn't trust him to pay the bill, but I'd fucking trust him to give me a good story. Yeah. No doubt, Craig. Now, for those at home, just in case they're not aware, so uh sort of we've got to ninety six where Mars attacks happens. Yep. And in ninety seven, uh Tim Burton is approached to see if he would want to be a part of a reboot of the Superman franchise for Warner Brothers. Yeah. Now, obviously, we've had two Batman films. That's very big. And so, basically, the project didn't have a lot of... Like, it was announced they were going to make it all happen. The aim was to release it in 1998, a year later. Mm. And it was to star Nicolas Cage. Now, there wasn't a lot of information beyond that, but slowly as the internet has become more of a mainstay in our lives... Yeah. Information has slowly drip fed out and yes. it became scripts were leaked. There was uh, concept art leaked. Magically, a photo appeared of horrible, uh, absolutely appalling. And they actually addressed the photo in the which is um, perfect. Yes, that's it a photo is. I've seen. That's and it is. It's a picture of Nicolas Cage in a very shiny Superman suit. Looks yep. like he's wearing some terrible latex. Long black hair. Yeah. And his eyes are half closed as yep. if he's on a mad bender and going to a Halloween party. And that photo did the rounds for years and really led to this mystique around the fact that this was going to be an absolute train wreck of a film. Yeah, that was saved. Yeah. Because it wasn't made. That's exactly right. And it really blew my mind in the documentary when they talked about how Brian Singer used that photo against people in his production of Superman oh, Returns. Against executives. Yeah. Who would try to make suggestions and he'd say, you you were going to make this. Yeah. he'd had a, the, the story is that 
Singer had a copy of that photo in a folder. Yep, front page of that and folder. Anytime someone questioned him, he produced the photo and said, We are not making this movie. Yeah, we're making this one. And so that blew my mind. So the the story is the film fell apart. We didn't know why it was, any of that sort of stuff. So a journalist named George Depp went out and decided, I'm going to interview as many people as physically possible that were involved in this project mm-hmm. and get the actual word Does on what Does a fucking good happened. job of finding the people, man. Doesn't like he, he gets some, pretty, some people who have pretty good, like, you know, money in the game. Yep, very much so. So he talks... Skin in the game. He he talks to producer John Peters. Yeah. He talks to the first... The film had three writers. There was uh, Kevin Smith who worked on it before... Uh, Kevin loves came to along. talk. Kevin has made a living out of talking about his experience yeah, on this exactly. film. He, which he openly admits in it. He does. He addresses that and loves it. Uh, they talk to second screenwriter Wesley Strict. Yeah, they do. And they also talk to the third screenwriter, Dan, Dan Gilroy. Gilroy. Uh, along the way, they are amazingly, and this is what I love so much about this documentary, Craig, is that you get such a window into Tim Burton. Yeah. Because they are sitting in Tim's very dark, very gothic looking it's UK a, home. Yeah. Oh, you, get, you spot the beautiful UK portion of it, don't you? It's, yeah. It's, it's like a, an old church part where they've turned into a, like a back-end house. Yeah. I felt like we were in the Weasley house, but yeah, the people exactly. didn't have any of the lanterns lit. <laughs> Except just freaky fucking dolls sitting around him. There was that um, like ventriloquist doll yeah. sitting behind him yeah. that I was like, oh gosh. And there was like lots of horror props around. And then they interview one of the writers. Yeah. Who was, who um, helped write him. And he was in the same place. That's true. That's yeah. true. But he had the fucking doll right next to him. He did. <laughs> he totally oh did. Oh my God. How are you not looking at that doll right now? <laughs> Just waiting for it to fucking move. But they talk to concept artists. So they actually start. I love that. Start talking to all these different people that were brought in to give different flavors. And there's all this craziness, like the idea of a ship that was made and the incredible model of that oh. skull ship. That but also these poor artists like creative artists who are creating something for john peters the yes. producer as well as tim burton yeah and the, the push and, and pull the, that they yeah, had to exactly. survive in mm. so and actually get choked in yes very much so you you it becomes very apparent there are three factors trying to make mm. a movie all independently yeah and and really the long and short of it is that no one could really agree and as a result, Warner Brothers get very concerned. Yeah. Um, at one stage, I read that the um, budget had got to about $190 million. Yeah, it makes sense. Which is why Wesley Strict was removed from the movie and Dan Gilroy was brought in to really pair it all back. But there's what was really fascinating as well is that, is that some of the concept art, including the photo that had been used as sort of fodder for why this was going to be a terrible mm. film they actually broke down those misconceptions yeah exactly. and they they talk about there was one image uh of superman laying in a weird sort of mechanical machine yeah and they talk brilliant about brilliant idea oh when they explain it craig please elaborate for us like so obviously going through the the there's really one key line through it and there's a lot of things that revolve around it, you know, villains change, 
the looks of villains change. One of the key things is it's based upon Superman's death. I guess yes. so. Um, going back to the comic books, you know, Superman um, individual comics weren't going that well, and so they did this plan to um, kill Superman. Yep. Um, and amazing comic book, amazing comic. The only comic book I've ever cried at. Yeah, wow. Um, when I first got it, I've still got, I've still got that copy too. Yeah, I had the novelization. Oh, I had. I, I've got the novelization. It was as great. Well. Yeah, it's good. It's he's good, and um, and so they were going to make it that Superman dies. Love it. And Superman returns. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and after Superman dies, obviously, um, he comes back, and he goes into a machine which helps rebuild his body yeah and heaps heal him there's different ways of healing that's one of the machines that are meant to heal kryptonians yep. another one is he becomes fused with this pet robot that is like a bb8 that yep. fuses with him and becomes gives him superman like powers until he's healed properly yeah but yeah and it's and it shows this beautiful beautiful thing where he's just like in this cradle of just mechanical needles yeah um and you just see superman's body just getting judged and that's also meant to reflect through the suit yes and so some of these and that's what's funny these horrible photos that you see are really these test coverages for these suits which are just and they go through beautifully about how they've tried to design these suits and how each um, color of the suit like these glowing things which people I remember hearing people oh Superman's got a glowing suit like an LED yeah and you suit. go oh that was that would have been shit but like put it in context that he was getting healed the yeah. suit was meant to be a healing suit and it was literally gonna appear for two minutes in the yeah field. exactly like, exactly was, like there's actually a... I like towards the end they do they do an evolution of the suits you yeah. know what I mean of what Superman's suits are and he ends up in his beautiful um very much Zack Snyderish type yep. black suit but with this red symbol yeah um so yeah it's really cool really it, cool. it's and it's fascinating because again they they really that image of him being healed was misconceived and explained to a lot of people he's gonna need a machine to fly yeah you know it was used as that and the iridescent suit with the neon again people were like oh he was gonna be like a uh, a rainbow, you know, Superman and things like that. So I really love the detail. And that suit, considering it was only going to be in the film for two minutes, yeah, they worked their booties off trying to get that to function. Exactly. And one guy's telling it that each each wire in a suit has to be lined through and you have to know which one it is. Pre-programmed. And pre-programmed and yeah. basically, and it'll have that With a laser. Exactly. Amazing. The, the, like there was 300 plus... Yeah, and you'd have to know each number of each one. It's seriously this documentary. I went in going, "Oh, this is going to give some good information," but I gobbled it up. It was so fascinating, Craig. It's fascinating because it's not so much about the death of a film, no, but the coming together of, like, you know how you always the, the that stupid saying, you know, it's not the destination, it's the journey. Yeah, and you see the the early journey of all these creatives like even john peters is he is a creative yeah let's be yeah. honest he's an aggressive creative yeah he's not one that should work with tim burton yeah um, but you can see how all of them coming together um trying to throw put all their things together into this big jumble pot yeah and all these poor creative beautiful artists trying to interpret everyone's like yes 
throwaway ideas, some throwaway ideas, yeah. some stupid ideas, you yeah. know, like fucking... The menagerie? Oh, no, the polar bears. Oh, that the is incredible. The polar bears, like, so early script. We're talking Kevin Smith's script. Yeah. And, and one of the other things, here's another misconception brought up in the film that I always had was that Kevin Smith wrote a shit script. Yes. Um, and you see that Kevin Smith is very, very much hands tied yes. through a lot of it. Because I always used to go, why did Kevin Smith write so much shit if he yes. purports to be such a Superman How could fan? he get it so wrong? And you see why. Like John Peters, and this is Kevin Smith, he's 26. Yeah, that's incredible. Coming straight off. He, Chasing he's just, Amy. Yeah, he's in pre-production for Chasing yeah. Amy. Um, and so that's post Morats. Yeah, yeah, post Morats. And so he's basically still young. Yeah. And he's getting invited to Hollywood, get invited to Warner Brothers. Well, they open the the vault to him. You yeah, know? exactly. And so he's getting there. And John Peter says three things to him. He says, yeah. fucking, there's got to be no flying. Yeah, Superman's not allowed to fly. Not allowed to fly. There's, um, what he was hated it? the suit. Hated the suit. Doesn't want to see, doesn't want to see him in the suit. Yeah. And he's, Giant spider? And he has to fight a giant spider. And when they go to the Fortress of Solitude, there should be um, some guards. Guards. For an action sequence. And then Kevin Smith says it beautifully. He goes, why would Superman need guards? And he goes, well, there should be someone there. He goes, no, there shouldn't. It's the Fortress of Solitude. One fucking person should be there. Solitude. (laughs) Yeah, beautiful Kevin Smith. But then he goes, okay, well, we need to put an action sequence there. Throw in an action. Throw a couple of polar bears. And he has this weird thing where John Peters likes to explain he must watch heaps of fucking Nat Geo yep. things, you know, because cause he wants a giant spider because, you know, giant spiders are like the, the biggest predators. predators. <laughs> <laughs> like 20 minutes later, he goes, throw polar bears in. You know, in Antarctica, they're like the biggest predators that you find. <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, oh, my God. I bet he loves Shark Week. But you know what's funny? It's As he explains, John Peters explains later, he had young kids at the time. Yeah. And I can just imagine young kids going up, do you know? Do you know? <laughs> do you know that there's spiders? I like this, this. And he's just like, fuck, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> Shit, awesome. Fuck, that's crazy, man. Let's get into a street fight. Fucking, <laughs> you know, it's... Can we, can we... Uh, I really want to give some context. If people don't know who John Peters is, John Peters has this, and in the documentary, if you watch it, it is out there to watch on YouTube, I'm pretty sure. Um, but we we managed to... It was a paid copy yeah. that we got through uh, crowdsourcing and watched it. But um, it's really fascinating... John Peters has this legacy within Hollywood and basically he even addresses it in the documentary, which is he's known as a hairdresser first and foremost, which was John Peters was a hairdresser. He was actually employed as the hairdresser for Barbara Streisand. Yep. Ended up marrying Barbara Streisand. Yep. And becoming a producer on a couple of films, which then snowballed into him becoming a mega producer. Yeah. He's a talented producer. Yeah. And he was involved in Batman. He was involved in Batman Returns. Yeah. Oh, I think he was, yeah, as an executive in Batman Returns. Yeah, because Returns. he couldn't, because Tim Burton couldn't stand him. Yep. And, and Tim Burton's very PC without talking about it. He He's, is in the book, uh, Burton or Burton. I had a little read after I watched the documentary the other night, and Burton actually said he was very um, standoffish on signing on. Uh, originally, it was because he actually believes that Superman is uh, one of the weaker characters in the DC universe. Yeah. He said he actually works as a comic book character, but he doesn't believe he works well as a movie character. Um, so he was a bit tentative about that. 
the other one was that he had to work with John Peters again. And the first Batman had been such a challenge to work with him. And you watch this and you go, oh, I get why Peters is... Oh, yeah, you could imagine him. like Every day I reckon he'd be on the phone. Just an aggressive... Look... They he, talk he, about it. He talks like a coke fiend. Yes. Um, obviously, we don't know if he is. No. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, this is purpose? a guy who would show up and because he, he has this infatuation with, sh- with street fighting. Well, he talks about Superman needs to be masculine. He mentions it a couple of times. Yeah. The, the suit he felt made him look not macho. Yeah. So he didn't like the underpants on the outside of the suit. Yeah. Even the colours he didn't enjoy. That's right. He tells Kevin Smith his words exactly was, "It's faggoty." Yes, that was yes, that was his right. words, and um, and so then he talks about the fact that he would walk into production offices and just randomly pick people and wrestle them to but the do ground. Do martial arts moves on and, them, and people would run and hide from him. And he believed that he needed to bring the macho in there so people would get the essence of macho. Yeah, exactly. And and bring in the, you know, it seems like a lot of shit where he's just throwing bullshit to justify. Yeah. Like a Coke, Coke fiend type thing. You know what I mean? Where he's like, yeah, 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 man. You know, it was to bring the, yeah, I think you're just being a douche, you know? And, a couple of times people say things like he'll mention something about, I told Tim Burton this and then they go to Tim Burton. And he's like, like at one stage they talk casting and John Peters is like, we signed on Sandra Bullock to be Lois Lane. And then Tim Burton's like, Oh, I must've been away for those meetings. Yeah, oh. I know. He's very PC. <laughs> he's madly PC. Like he'd just say like, yeah, John is incredibly passionate yeah. about what um, he's he actually- wants. And- Way more diplomatic. Like, we joked about it yeah. on this season, the fact that he doesn't want to get involved and people get sacked. But the amount of creative differences that have been present within this season, I thought that Burton would be very outspoken. Yeah. And probably a bit... Probably in that way, he doesn't understand humans. <coughs> and in that, he just ends up saying things very straight. Yeah, exactly. That's why we always. That's why we made that originally made that joke that there's someone to translate for him because he's just not good in the social. But arena. he's he's so eloquent. But he also you see him like um, when he has to fire. What's the second guy's name again? Um, Wesley Strict. Wesley Strict. He calls him directly. And it's tells Burton him, yeah, doing the, yeah, the conversation oh, mate, around. Yeah, it. you have to go. You have to go, and so you're just like ah. Oh. Yeah. Poor it's Birdo. Such a great window into Burton, though. It yeah. was. It was really. I learned so much more about Burton in that than probably about how he operates as a creative as well. Uh, it made me realize. You know, we've heard Johnny Depp talk about him as a genius from the moment they met, and there was that about him. He is so like on this other level when he's using his hands to talk. Yeah, that you're just like, wow. You can imagine him being like throwing a really far out concept into the ether and you just get it because he's so on board and animated about it. Yeah, like there's one of the ones where one of the villains has transforms yep. into the face of every person that's yeah. new. And it's a fight that happens underneath, I assume, Metropolis. And you see 
the sketches that um, Burton puts together for it. Yeah. And then you see, obviously, the, the, pro- the full ones. honed tart. And, and it is. It's it's terrifying. And you go, yeah. wow, that would have been that amazing would, to watch. It made part. me think it was really Cronenbergish. It was, You know, yeah. that body horror sort yeah. of style thing. And so, like, I think what really helps me in the documentary is that I go, all these things that I've heard would be horrible. And if you said, hey, Tim Burton's going to do a villain where there's, like, a thousand faces on them and you know, Superman sees them, you'd go, oh, man, that's not going to work. But then you start seeing that concept art and you're like, whoa, hold on. Even the concept of Brainiac. Yeah. And the way Brainiac would play out, which was essentially a Mars Attacks style head in a jar. Yeah. But you think he's got a big cloak and walking around and you realise he's actually just a head with robotic limbs. Yeah, exactly. And his cloak is, the they call it the Cobra cloak. Yeah. Hmm. And and that again on paper that concept seems so stupid, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, like, it does. It, it, does. it seems ridiculous. And then you see the concept art and the way they talk about it, and you go, "Oh wow, this isn't a wild concept that's ridiculous. This could actually be quite a terrifying villain." Oh, exactly. And then to see that beautiful, so they have this one called they have this main one of the main villains or main parts is called the Menagerie, like we were speaking about earlier. Yeah, the Menagerie. So it's a spaceship full of creatures that um, were too dangerous for Krypton. Yeah. And this spaceship shaped like a skull, thanks to... um, John Peters. John Peters, which you see they modelled, and it's fantastic. It is so fantastic model. And how about the story of when production shut down... The day before that model disappeared, yeah, and then the the host says, "Well, you can tell everybody I know where that model is. It's in John Peter's house." Yeah, and he said right next to it. He's yep. just like, "Yeah, yeah, you know, John Peter's new in advance." And then, yeah, and then, um, and that comes to Earth, yeah, and so they have to stop that, which is you know very similar if you think about obviously your Man of Steel, yeah, um, about the machine coming to Earth trying to terraform and yeah. those types of things. Usually. It reminded me a lot of, like, uh, again, we, we before we got on the air, had a talk to Uncle Johnny, John Killian. We love you, man. But uh, we were talking about, you know, your Marvel movies and all those sorts of things mm. and the way that Jodorowsky's Dune got sort of poached for other movies. And there was yeah. this lookbook that was out there that people pinched bits and went, oh, well, that's never going to be used. I'll use that here and I'll use that there. There was so many things about that menagerie that made me think of Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, oh, with the hates. collector, yeah, and and I was like, oh wow, maybe it's drawn inspiration from the comic books, and then it's come across to Burton's vision, which then gets poached again later. But even the idea of giant skulls being used yeah. as planets or you know uh, ships, you go, wow, like you know, Burton was there's, really there's a good horror line through this whole yeah, film. yeah. For a Superman film. Yeah, for a Superman film. And let's let's jump, Craig, to there's a lot of great footage in there of Nicolas Cage and Tim Burton and Colleen Atwood, the costume designer. Yeah, amazing. Talking about the different suits they have, the different visions they had for the character. And I just love watching those play out because at first it comes across as though Nicolas Cage is just a madman. Yeah. But then as you're watching it more and more, you can tell he's really diving into, this is the 90s. What would Clark Kent be like in the 90s? I think he, he, he does that 
He does that brilliantly. Doesn't like, he? But also I think you've seen his process. So yes. ironically, this week as I was watching is I watched the Actors Roundtable, just one of the old Actors Roundtable. It had um, Jamie Foxx, um, had Jamie Foxx, um, Beef, the Beef, Sheila Booth, um, Tom Hanks, Robert Downey Jr. I mean, not Robert Downey Jr. Tom Hanks, Robert De Niro, um, Adam Driver. Wow. Uh, yeah. And so and 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 they talk and they're talking about their process and um, Jamie Foxx. You know, whilst I don't like him sometimes as an actor. Yeah. I love listening to him tell stories because oh, he's, he's such a fanboy. He's such a fanboy, and he's and he's telling stories about Christoph Waltz's process, and it's very similar. You know, they have that process where they're trying to find, where they ask these what you would almost say, "Oh, that's a weird question yeah. to ask," and you almost think it's a wacky question, but they're just trying to find um, a through line for the character. Yeah, they're trying to find that little piece that they can build upon um, that connects them to it. And yeah, and that's what I, all I saw was, well, I thought it was stupid originally, but that's what all I saw was Justin. With this, I saw an actor's process. Very much where so. Where before, like you said, I was like, oh man, Christ, how much coke is him and John Peters <laughs> <just> sharing? hundred <laughs> percent. He's just finding a process. And Burton's beautiful in how open he is to oh. um, Nicholas Cage's approach. And remembering all of these guys could have changed completely 100%. once it hit the screen. 100%. Like once they hit filming. And well, none of this it. hit principal. I loved there was a moment where Cage is in his Clark Kent outfit and he's talking through, you know, I had this thought like if he was Clark Kent nowadays, he wouldn't be in a suit. Yeah. He'd be wearing a t shirt under this suit jacket. Yeah. And it would probably be like a Mickey Mouse one or something. And then suddenly you see him in this sort of mismatched combo of clothes and you're like, far out. That is a really cool contemporary take on Clark Kent. It is. Yeah, incredible. And with the glasses, he looks really good. And in actual fact, I think I love the photos at the end of him in his Superman proper stills, those proper yeah. stills of him in the costume because – the hair's not long and unkempt anymore. No. It's neatly put back. And when that hair is sort of kicked over and slicked back all over, Cage looks like Superman. You see you see the actual pick for Superman. It's But I love I love where they went where Burton explains or also the documentary explains why Cage was chosen in the first place. Yes. And I know John Peters throws his Two percent. Yeah, it's the eyes. You can tell they're street fighters in the <laughs> eyes. And you just go, oh, fuck, enough with the street fighting. But like, you could see like, because they talk about Michael Keaton. Yeah, and how he was such a you know everyone didn't want him as well. And you see about them um, choosing obviously Nicolas Cage because yes. of his ability. And seriously, another one. It would have been great. Looked at him, the look of him, like you said, in those finished photos. Yeah. Um, yeah, it looked great. My only thing that I probably would, he can do something different, but the only sticking point I'd have with Nicolas Cage, because we know he's got the chops. Yeah. And he definitely had the look in those photos yeah. and the footage. It's the voice. And is that a Superman Clark Kent voice? You know, there's a, there's always, with Nicolas Cage, there's always this sort of, he can do it cool. There's this almost like neurotic sort of edge to it. I think know? he would have done, I think he would have done Clark Kent beautifully. Yes. Um, 
obviously the bumbling, you know, the yeah. and all that. It would have been done beautifully. The Superman one, I'm just trying to think through some roles. You know, he has an air about him in Con Air. That's true. Uh, that is a um, great... And the so, Rock. Yeah, and The Rock. Oh, like sort of, like towards the end of The yeah, Rock. Yeah, when he you know hardens I mean? Like up. Rocket Man type thing, you know what I mean? But even, yeah, but... No, he, Con Air is a great Con Air, yeah, because he has that, you know, that strength that he carries with him through the whole yeah. thing, you know? You know, even, you know, put the bunny back in the box. You know, and it, it has that. You could you could see a bit of that Superman presence there. That's and true. definitely every other role, yeah, would have just fit, would have fit well into the Clark Kent persona. Let's jump to uh, casting quickly, and then I'll give a little bit of a overview of some info I found about yep, the story yep. that wasn't in the documentary as Ooh. well. Um, so the cast that they pretty much... Tim Burton actually signed very intelligently this time around with a pay-or-play contract. Have you heard of a pay-or-play contract, Craig? Tell me. Essentially, for an actor, uh, director, writer, your pay-or-play contract is that you get paid a certain amount no matter what. Yeah. So if the movie doesn't come out, if the movie doesn't get made, you still get this amount of money. Yep. So Tim Burton was on a $5 million pay-or-play deal. Bob Hoskins was on one of those. Really? For The Godfather. No. Yeah, so he still got he got paid. I remember him telling the story about it. He got a huge, huge check, like let's say half a million dollar check for not even getting to that point. Wow. Smart, Bobby. Mm. Smart. So they actually got to a point where they were looking at casting. Uh, and obviously we've got Nicholas Cage was the first one on board, and he was on board before uh, Burton even came on board for the project. Yeah. So basically Cage was a big portion of that. Now, there were some rumours. Burton really wanted uh, Kevin Spacey for the role of Lex Luthor. Yep. Obviously that comes to fruition years down the track. And but he, they, at the time, and they said in his... Spacey was doing heaps of Warner Brothers films. Yeah, so he's within the house yeah. doing a lot of stuff. Uh, Christopher Walken was who he wanted for Brainiac. Would have been hardcore. Yeah, totally would have. They also considered Jim Carrey and uh, Gary Oldman for the role. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, they started talking to people for Lois Lane. As John Peters mentions, he said they'd signed Sandra Bullock. Tim Burton wasn't aware of that. Also in the mix was Courtney Cox and Julianne Moore. Yep. For Lois Lane. Probably would have not liked Courtney Cox in that role, but anyways. No. Uh, Chris Rock had been signed as Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, thanks to Kevin Smith telling that story. Because yep. they were into dogma. They were making dogma at the time. They'd reached the point of that. Now, something really fascinating I found was also listed as signed on for the film was Michael Keaton. Ooh. And he was actually approached by people when this was uh, confirmed that he was involved in the project and asked, is he playing Batman in the film? And his reply was, not exactly. That was his film. Which leads to a lot of rumours thinking that at some stage Bruce Wayne will pop up in this film. Yeah. And potentially setting up plans for Batman and Superman to appear in movies. Well, remember the the early iteration... With Kevin Smith had an actual Batman monologue, yes, on a big screen in yep. um like like Times Square or type thing like that. Which they could have just had his voiceover and then that's yeah, exactly. Where Batman comes on and says, you know, to the people of Metropolis, you know, I love that, it. yeah, that would have been 
pretty damn awesome. Yeah. Pretty oh, damn awesome. man. And groundbreaking for those days because yeah, those exactly. things just didn't happen. So they had all these sort of casts and actually like Peters talks about, and again, you take everything he says in this film as a, with a grain of salt, don't you, Craig? Yeah. Oh, look, even in his mind, that's a grain of salt with, with yeah. a grain of salt as well. Totally. They, but he talks about they got three weeks out from we'll call shooting. call it a gram. A gram of salt. That's right. An eight ball. Um, and <laughs> yeah, he'd be an eight ball. <laughs> so they get three weeks out from production and have to just shut everything down. And they talk about it. Burton talks about it. Peters gives his view on it. Everyone sort of gives their view on it. But essentially, Warner Brothers, well, it's attributed mainly to the fact that Batman and Robin comes out and that made a real bomb of a franchise. Yeah. So Burton was still involved as a producer for Batman Forever. Yep. Not involved with Batman and Robin. So Burton's franchise has been pretty much decimated through uh, nipple George Clooney. Yep. And so and that, neons as well. And neons. So there's a real fear, and unfortunately for Burton, Joel Schumacher's film starts attaching a stigma to his take on things. Of course. So people in the press are very loud, fans are very loud about the fact that Tim Burton is going to make a Batman and Robin version of yeah. Superman. So Warner Brothers are worried because obviously Superman is a massive part of this, uh, what they want a part of, to be a part of. And strangely, for something so important to them, John Peters just pulls the rug out from under them and buys the rights without them even realizing. But that's hilarious because it was before computers. Yeah. So they didn't, no one actually had a, a red flag to say that the rights were um, coming were up. up. Yeah. And so you could just, it was such a funny little story. And you could tell he loves the fact that oh, he did yeah. that, doesn't he? So that that's a, that's a major proportion. They also talk about the fact that there was, they were pretty much on a, six or seven film streak of losing big money. And Warner Brothers just weren't being a financial success that year at all. And therefore they decided that this was so much outlay with so much risk on a film that had so many elements that they were concerned about. And I'm sure if you were a Warner Brothers executive and like I'll just read a couple other things I wrote down here. So these are John Peters' weird things that he's thrown in. We heard he couldn't couldn't fly. Uh, He was worried the character looks like an overgrown Boy Scout. God. Right? Um, Then he also wanted him to fight a giant spider and we will get to where the giant spider appears very quickly after this film. Uh, he was asked to have guards in the Fortress of Solitude. Brilliant. Polar bears that um, they were going to have Brainiac fight oh, the polar God. bears. And this is weird, random, just Brainiac lands and just shoots them with eye beams. That's exactly right. Now, supposedly... Now, that Brainiac would have been Christopher Walken fighting yeah, uh, polar 100%, bears. 100%. Just, just remember 100%. that. Keep that in mind, everyone. Supposedly, uh, Peters had also been in part of a... 20th anniversary Star Wars screening and got very excited about a few things in that film. Wow. So this influenced a lot of things. So he asked for a space dog that would be a companion to uh, Brainiac. Yeah. That he would present to Lex Luthor as a gift at some point because he was inspired in the way that George Lucas could merchandise toys and thought a space Uh. dog would be a great way to sell toys and things. Um, 
Peter's also really wanted the. We talked about the robot assistant. Um, that there would be a robot assistant yeah. for Superman, uh, which was sort of like a began as a robot teddy bear and then evolved into like his floating companion. There was also going to be a robotic assistant to Brainiac. Oh, cool! Called Elron. Oh God! And it was going to be basically. Uh, <laughs> This is a quote from John Peters. It was going to be a gay R2-D2 with attitude. A gay R2-D2 with attitude. Yeah. So you're basically saying C-3PO. <laughs> Just shorter. <laughs> all right, cool. So all these things are going on. You're hearing about ships that need to be like giant floating skulls. And In saying this, though, I love their concept of Krypton. Oh, the... Actually, Krypton was really Krypton cool, wasn't it? sounded fucking amazing. And the fact that, like, Krypton shifted, like, up and down, yep. like, almost like they, they built the world to, um, because the world was falling apart, but they built to live around the, you know, the cracks and the movement of the world. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it, it really was. And you could actually see there are elements of, what they described they wanted to do, obviously drawing from a comic book. So yeah. there, there's things. But you see elements that pop up in Man of Steel. Oh, there's heaps of elements you see pop up in Man of Steel. Totally, hey. But you know what I mean? But also in saying that, you know, heaps of elements in, you know, like you said, Deuteroski, you know, Deuteroski's June and, yeah. and then forgetting Star Wars and everything like that. Yeah, totally. Archetypal things, yeah. Yeah, very much so. So all these wild demands and the fact that Peters was very present, there's this story about the fact that he would rock into production offices with his family in tow mm. and the kids would just walk around telling all the artists they hate that, they hate yeah. that, they hate that. They wouldn't even look up. And they talk about how demoralising it was. So I think if you were Warner Brothers, you'd be like, we're going to throw a lot of money at this. It sounds bonkers. Yeah. We've not seen anything this bonkers before. I think we should get out of this shit before well, it sinks. I also think that a lot of what you see, I think as much as John Peters, I think, wants to get the project off the ground, he's still a person who wants to make as much dirty money as it is. So oh, him, 100%. Him and the studios are closer to being on there on one side than he is being on Tim Burton's side. Very so much. I think when he bring goes into those places and looks at characters and says, look, that, you know, and getting kids to say, that looks horrible, that looks great. What he wants is a kid to get, to look at it and go, okay, that's merchandisable. That isn't. That's merchandisable. That isn't. Yep. And I think that's what he was going for. And the moment that that project, they talk about like within a week of that project falling apart, hmm. Peter's moved all the funds that they had put aside for Superman Lives, gets shifted to a different project, yep. which was to be a high concept project oh starring Will Smith. We know how you love that guy, Craig. Yeah. Um, and Kevin Klein. Love Kevin Klein. Which is Wild Wild West. Which was produced by John Peters. Oh, man. Featured a giant spider at the end. <laughs> and even spider. the villain. And I, I, love, I love Kevin, Kevin Smith. Smith saying that. Even the villain is basically a head on spider yeah. legs. Um, what was really crazy, though, Craig, is even despite that, they actually persevered for quite a number of years afterwards trying to get Superman Lives Mate. Oh, really? So it didn't die with Burton. Oh, well, I did not know that. Me I just thought either. dead in the water. So 
Um, so th- they Nick, took, but Nicholas Cage and Burton left. At the same no, time. Cage stayed on. Makes sense, you know, because Cage is he is heavily invested in. He them. used to own. I think it got stolen. It did. He owned the number one. He owned a number Superman one, one action comics number yep. one. Yep. Pretty crazy. He's a massive Superman fan. Yeah. So using Dan Gilroy's script, uh, Peters went out and tried to get Michael Bay to make the movie. Wow. He offered it to Martin Campbell. Martin Campbell. Which you'd think at that time he's coming off the back of Goldeneye. Goldeneye. So, and probably getting prepped not long into the future to start tackling uh, Casino Royale. Uh, Brett Ratner turned it down. Wow. Yep. He decided to do The Family Man, which I believe With Nicolas Cage. have Nicolas Cage in it, actually. It does, because it it's a remake of... Um, oh, let me have a look. I'll check right now for no, you. The, it's that Christmas movie. Um, I'm not uh, a huge... It's very big in the I States. I didn't know Jeremy Piven. Is it A Christmas Tale or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. It's with the Jimmy Stewart. With, the one with the leg lamp that everyone goes nuts about. It's no. funny, isn't it? It's, you, yeah, James Stewart is in it. It's, it's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. There you go. Thank you, Craig, for jogging my memory. I'm also in there. Uh, they brought on a new uh, new writer, and Cage is working on part of the script as well, all the oh way Lord. up until he drops out of the project in June 2000. Wow, that's heaps fun. Yep. And so basically around this time... Um, Peters has seen The Matrix. Oh, God. And is now trying to get elements of The Matrix shoehorned into the film, and which is pretty crazy. And then it is offered to uh, Oliver Stone to direct. <laughs> right? And it's turned down. Obviously. And then they go as far as Peters offering the role to Will Smith, which famously Will Smith turned down oh, the yes. role for fear that a black man playing Superman would just face so much backlash that he just didn't want to be well, a Well, there's of still it. drama about Michael B. Jordan. Is that still going ahead? You would think it's with all the changes dead. to DC, not, it would It's not dead. It's not alive. So I guess we'll find out soon. Yeah. We'll find out soon. Interesting. With you think James. with um, with Michael cool. B. Jordan focusing so much on the third Creed movie because mm. he directed that, that Superman probably would be a yeah down the well, track. Well, obviously, thing. it's not Clark Kent, Kal-El Superman. No, it's a different Superman, isn't yeah. it? So it's sort of it probably would have worked really well if it was tied to be the film after Todd Phillips' Joker. Yeah. And then you could accept that there were multiple iterations of this, but they've been very clear to say they want to have just one Batman. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, which is not good for... Robert Pattinson. No, I don't think it's good for Michael Keaton. That's true. That's true. I think it's... it's. Do you think Flashpoint, we're sort of going off on the I think tenor. Robert Pattinson is stuck. He's he's there. Well, I did see... I think Matt thing. Reeves has built, has built in a That's huge... That's a beautiful world. Yeah, he's building in a huge world. Like, they're even, they, they would be filming already the spin-offs, wouldn't they? I like don't the know. The TV series... Oh, yeah. there is a Penguin TV series mm. with Colin Farrell. But I did hear that uh, they're really keen on keeping Ben Affleck as as the Batman for a little while. Oh, really? this new iteration. I guess we'll find out. So, Well, no, no, not. No, no. Because Affleck and Damon have just opened their own production company, which is called Artist Equity. And um, Affleck has said that he will no longer be making any movies for any studios 
only for artist equity. Wow. Where he'll be signing on it, you know, doing directing, yep. um, producing and acting only at artist equity. Wow. There you go. So long. So a lot. Of, yeah. Cause I remember seeing there was an article t- today or yesterday that said the death of Batman. Um, yeah. Wow. Affleck's Batman because of this artist equity um, productions company that's gotten together. Fascinating. There you go. Fascinating. Well, Craig, we could literally, we've had a great chat already about this very fascinating. Oh, incredibly fascinating. Fascinating movie. I like it's eye-opening and myth-busting. It is, isn't it? It wasn't the hellhole that everyone made it out No. I actually think we might have got a really good film out of this. I think Not we would a great have got, one. I think, ironically, John Peters is the best. It, it, it's, it definitely would have been an original film. Yeah. It might not have been a hit. Like, you guess it might not have been a hit. But it would have been an original film. And I think it would have been, you know, that's... Totally. It's wild. Yeah, it is. It's wild and... Fuck, there'd be some visually bold. stunning bits in it. It would have been bold, wouldn't visually it? Visually stunning bits in it, man. I Even, like, in the film, they show... ILM did some screen tests of Nicolas Cage flying. But it was written in a in a way that Kevin Smith is very vocal on the fact that he wrote it as if it was just a blur. So flying was like a fast blur, not an actual fly. And that ILM screen test looks great. It looks fantastic, doesn't it? For the time. Mm. You go, visually that looks so great. And so I think it would have been a really exciting take on Superman. Yeah, it would have been. And, probably and also like... They're saying, like, the reason, one of the main reasons, obviously, that Tim Burton took on the Superman thing was because he wanted to push, he wanted to explore Superman as the outsider. Yes. And it's funny, it's where, and I I didn't mind this, I didn't mind this change to Superman law, that Superman finds out only later that he's an alien. Yes. Because Lex Luthor takes the, um, takes like, finds this thing on the Kent property and uses it. And he only then finds out that he's an alien because prior to that, he's spending all this time trying to figure out why he's different from everyone else. Why he's an outsider. And then he finds out one of these reasons why he's an outsider. Love it so much. Hey. Yeah. You know, Burton would have pushed the shit out of that. And he, and, and they, they even make reference to it in the documentary, you know, like, you know, um, Edward Scissorhands and all these lovable outsiders who yep. come together, and he would have—that's the—that's the direction he would have put Superman through, which sounds interesting as hell. So Especially, fascinating, yeah, hey. exactly. I—I I really, when I heard that, I was like, "What a good take!" And I love that it's got that Burton spin, doesn't it? Does it? it does in such a good way? Hey, I really think Craig. I can't recommend enough people to get out there and watch Death of Superman. Lives, get out, watch it. What happened? It's such. If you love just a good movie, Doco. Creativity, man. Yeah, it's 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 such a and it's such an inside look into any type of creative movie made. Oh, hundred percent. You know, and but it's also like it's a creative look into these films that people dismiss as sci-fi, actiony, or even superhero yep. films. About how much creativity is behind it in, oh, in building costumes, in making the special effects work, in making like the concepts that you eventually see on screen work, yeah, and how where they all start. You know what I mean? Even like where it the, differs from like your standard, you know, drama, you know, of the man next yeah. door who becomes a best friend is all that crap. You know, it goes. It's so different. It's so much hard work across the board. 
blew my mind just the efforts they were going to to find out what material cape to use. Yeah. Like the fact that they were going through like... Lighting. Yeah, lighting and just the amount of work and bodies required for a cape or... And and body sculpting. Like you see the guy put on the body sculpt and obviously that's not much... It's... It would it's must the technology would be amazing now. Yeah, but you see the technology and and the guys talking about where it bunches up, you yeah. know, and and how it's got to change it and how they fix it. Yeah, you know what I mean. You go, wow. There's so much, like so much detail. One of those things where I went, you know, when someone goes, how on earth could they spend seventy million dollars on a movie? Yeah, I go. Well, I can see how that could happen because these guys are basically developing the technology. You would have suit. at least 50 engineers, 100%. trained engineers in a room. Yep. And 50 artists, and all art- famous exactly. artists exactly. being involved in stuff that you'll never see unless you bought one of those The Art Of books. Yeah. You know, you'd never see that this guy was a world famous comic artist from Europe bringing a different uh, flair uh, to everyone and else. And just to come in and go, nah, that doesn't work. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, here's my next one. Colin Atwood would bring out, and, and you know, and that was built by someone else as yep. well. Amazing. I love it. So I great. love that shit. Such I a great, yeah. I love the minutia of a movie studio. Check it out. It was a great documentary. It's a damn shame. It actually ends up being, this really knocks Burton for six. Yep. Um, he didn't have any plans to make anything beyond this. So this is like his world. And he works for over... two years on it. Yeah, he, he spends a good 18 to 24 months on this movie Damn. and then has it all fall away, which sort of brings us to what we're going to listen to and discuss next episode, Craig, which is how then he regathers from that. Yeah. And he dives into a bit of a world. He becomes a bit arty post this mm-hmm. in terms of doesn't want to make movies because this hurts so bad. Yeah. Becomes a bit of a photographer, dabbles in his drawing a bit more before being asked to come on board for uh, our next film, which is Craig. Sleepy Hollow. Oh, yes. Sleepy Hollow. It's going to be great. Very excited. Yeah, I can't wait to talk it mm. either. Um, just in case people want to tell us info we've left out, I know just please hear us. This is not a fully fledged episode, so we've sort of skimmed over some things. Yeah, exactly. I know there's so much out there, but where can people find us? You can go at FFTL Podcast. So that's our um, handle for Twitter and for um, Instagram. Or go on to um, Facebook from First to Last Podcast. We're on there. Get on there. Do some comments to us. Do some likes. Yeah. All that type of stuff. Um, share us. Yeah, share us. But also um, go email us at info at FFTL Podcast or go to www.fftlpodcast.com. Love it, Craig. Love it so much. Like Craig said, share us with a friend. Throw a review up there. Just support us somehow. We 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 Pro love support. hearing from Pro you. Support. support Send us. us muffins. Oh, I made muffins last night. Craig. I did you make muffins? Yeah. Banana kind of maple muffins? syrup. Oh, is that nice? Real nice. I'll okay. let you try one later. Thank you. I will. Um, I just put that face on because I want to try it. I will eat I'll it. I'll let you try one. Thank you. I do enjoy a good bake. So next episode, we are going to be talking Sleepy Hollow. Tune in. Oh, tune in. It's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. It will be. Ichabod fun. Crane. Ichabod Crane. Johnny Depp's in the house. Yeah. So I can't wait, Craig. So for all of us here at From First to Last Podcast, I'm Jeff Reed. I'm Craig Killian. We'll catch you next time. Adios.
yeah, yeah, yeah. You always just go, oh, fuck. Yeah, early New York, sorry, uh, not London. Um, yeah, but, yeah. But, like, it really is. There's so many little elements that I go, wow, he's having so much fun in this film. Uh, it's And it's weird. It's like the fact that what you just said earlier, that he's never jumped, he's, he's never, you can see he's like, he's just having so much fun. It's It's got, again, we've drawn parallels throughout the season to Sam Raimi. Yeah. And it feels like the way a Raimi film feels, which is there's such dark content. Like these are literally, this is gory. Yeah. You know, when a head gets cut off, it's not just a little drops to the ground. No. He's making sure you know that is like, there's Like when the head falls between that dude, uh, between Ichabog's legs, yep. and then he puts the freaking sword in tight. Through the head. top of its head. Love it. So great, isn't Love it, Craig? It. I, it, he's having so much fun and... You can't help think of Sam Raimi, who just seems yeah. to have this gleeful joy doing it. I could imagine it. Sam Raimi watching this film and going, oh, I love this film. Yeah, let's put it on. Let's have some fun. Yeah. It's just going to be... I can see this being like, you know, like people have guilty pleasure movies. Yeah. It'll be like Sam Raimi's like, time for Ichabod. Yeah, exactly. Incredible. Let's get it out there. And so I just... Oh, man, so much that I love about this movie. Let's talk Johnny Depp. Yeah, let's talk Johnny Depp. I have to say, Craig, I've been loving this season because I'm getting to see, or just probably reminded at how nuanced Johnny Depp can be as an actor. Mm. And actually how much like comedic timing he has. Yeah. He can play those moments like, you know, the little turn away looking like he's going to vomit just so no one knows that he's like not coping with this moment or the moments of there's one where he lets out a really girly scream on top of the stage coach. Um, <laughs> you, you know the moment I'm talking about. Oh, seriously. Oh, oh, seriously. I, without a doubt, think this is Johnny Depp's, one of his best roles. Oh, he's ever. so much fun, isn't Freaking he? Ever. And it's one of those characters, it's one of my favorite characters of all time out of every movie. And it's because of what Johnny Depp brings to it. It's so great, I, isn't it? It's, it's And I, I think I've said it before, but the whole idea of that this man you, is a coward after the fact of being so brave yeah, is just amazing to me. Like the fact that they bring him across as this coward who then gets on a horse and runs into the fucking forest, yes. who chases and fights with the headless horseman. And obviously collapses at the end. I just, oh, I have so much, I just, so much love for this character like Ichabod Crane and how well Johnny Depp does that. Yeah. Like if, I think if you played this one straight, it would never hold as dear to me or I guess as many other people as it does. But because he played it that, you know, that intelligent, quirky, um, heartfelt but also just cowardly brave. It's you know so what I mean? Good, it, it is just amazing. Just absolutely. I, seriously, I can't stop. I can't give enough praise to Johnny Depp in this film. I love it because there are little moments like you see his intelligence come through decisions that they make yeah. for Depp's performance. Like the first time that he sees the Headless Horseman on the horse, which you find out is a practical joke played by Casper Van Dien. Yeah. Um, but that moment, he's too terrified to ride into the 
woods and chase him. But then the next time it happens, he survived it and yeah. he's overcome the fear. So then he gets on the horse and, and is brave. And there's a there's an almost scientific sort of approach in that. You yeah. know, like, oh, I've deduced that this is not that scary. So therefore I can jump in and, and do this. You know, like, but then later he screams out of fear. I, I love because he embodies my personal belief in what courage is. Yes. Like I don't believe I don't believe courage and bravery is being fearless. I think fearless is for people who have no brains. Yeah. Um I think courage and bravery is when you're fucking scared but you do it anyway. Yes. And that's what I love about him. You can tell he's terrified. He's like us. You know, if we were like uh, but there's a sense of duty and responsibility where yes. he just goes, like, you know, like, you know, there's a lot of times at night where, you know, I'll wake up and I, I'm not comparing myself to a head, chasing a headless horseman. <laughs> you hear noises outside and you're like, oh, I don't want to get up. But you're like, I have to. It's my duty. It's my responsibility. Yep. And you get up and you fucking do it anyway. Have and, you, have you got you, the bat, Craig? Have you got the bat? Uh, I, I have a bat. Yeah, yeah. It's a handle. Oh. Uh, oh yeah, I know. Exactly, oh, exactly. oh, oh. I know I'm I'm very fancy because the handle's got a like a, it's got like a you know it's got the proper grip or like pretty good <laughs> pretty damn good, but yeah and you and you just go out and you check this shit and you're just like, but that's what I love about it, like that's why I'm so I, I so just feel for every time he's on the screen yeah. he's brilliant he's he brilliant. sure is he like sure honestly is. one of my favorite roles and one of my favorite but films. I love it too because like his inventions. Yeah. That are a part of his character, which are very Burton. Oh, incredible Burton, man. And there's this beautiful, the way they're done, they're very animation-like. Yeah. So, you know, the giant, like, telescopic, like, eye lens that he pops on and things like that. You go, oh, man. You can see that happening in a cartoon and it's very, very funny. And you can see why they built those quirks into him because, yeah. let's be honest, fucking Depp looks just dashing he in does that old school times like and everything like that you know he's got this oh he even got a fucking spit curl down his yep. arm down his hair fucking great looking dude just an amazing looking dude and then like every time the depth goes with um burton yeah they find a way to just oh you look you looks handsome let's throw some blood on it yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know let's let's do and every they, time <laughs> that he looks dashing let's add in something that totally takes you away from it yes and makes you just Remember the quirk of it, which is brilliant. Uh, that's what well, it brings the character out in him. Like exactly, he's not the character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's why he's always managed to sidestep part of that. Yes, I do love. They really whip that blood in his face too when it's happening. Like it. it hits him so hard. I know. Sort of jolts back. <laughs> oh. <laughs> love that so much. Yeah, I love. There was like one tool he had where it was sort of like a. Um, like a big hook sort of yeah. thing on his hand. And again, you look at it and you go, oh man, there's so many little elements that they've drawn like, oh, what would a refined Edward scissor hands be like? You know, all <laughs> yeah, these exactly. moments that you go, oh wow, it's so tactile, so it makes sense. It's like this evolution of Burton within that character in so many ways. So great. I just love it. Um, fun little fact I found, Craig. Yep. Did you know that... Uh, the stunt person for the Headless Horseman yeah. that did all the horse riding in that costume has big ties to the number one film for 1999. Ooh. Which Darth Maul himself. That's Ray Park. It's Ray Park. 
the Headless oh, wow. Horseman anytime it's not Christopher Walken. Obviously, yeah. Which... Uh, that's Ray Park with that big costume on riding the horse. That's brilliant. Around. And I had no idea at all, Craig, that that was Absolutely brilliant. Ray Park. I didn't so, know that at all. Um, can we talk the uh, origin story of the, the Headless Horseman? Yeah. And the way I love... Craig, the way that it plays out almost like a mystery. Yeah. Not that, you know, it, it's not playing out in the sense of a traditional horror movie, which is just like, how do we survive? How do we survive? And then along the way, you stumble across something that goes, oh, it's an ancient burial ground. Let's yeah. kill the book, you know, like your Evil Dead style. I love the fact that this is, he's actually doing investigation because he's a police officer to start with. Um, then he's digging up bodies and he's discovering that one of them was a pregnant lady. And, you know, all these things that you start discovering along the way that leads to the discovery of someone stole the, ho- the head of the horseman. How do we work this out? And that freaky visit to the witch's house on oh, the journey? Yeah, the sister. Oh. That was like really Northman-esque, wasn't it? That was it? pretty <laughs> hardcore, eh? I love that bit. That is fantastic, especially like she dives out and, you know, yeah. oh, first puts the chain on and you see Johnny Depp's face go, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, it was so great. And there was that really Burton moment. There was that like large Marge uh, clay animation where she sort of opens the veil and oh, yeah. sort of has the big oh, that's tongue superb. and the eyeballs that's come brilliant. out. And you go, whoa, and then it settles to the creepy version, which is no eyes, no mouth, just looking very scary. But I, I just love the the way we're brought along on the journey, one of the investigation. Yeah. And then Burton lets us in on some dreams about Depp's mum. Yeah. And some dreams about his connection to witchcraft. Some dreams about why he might be attracted to Christina Ricci, you know, because he's got mummy issues. Well, yes, he does. Uh, and then again, you get little elements of actually what happened to the headless horseman. Yeah, and the way that his story plays out for him to be so vengeful and and things. I love that. The seconds in Ichabod's mind, the second it becomes supernatural. It doesn't change the way he investigates. He's got the same approach, doesn't he? He's got he? the exact same approach. So in other movies, okay, it becomes supernatural. We need a supernatural MacGuffin. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and no, not this one. No, no supernatural MacGuffin. He's still, he goes, okay, well, and then finally deduces that, well, there's someone here behind the supernatural um, occurrence who's causing it all. And I love it. And then he has to go through the investigative process like through that. It's so great, isn't it? Is it is brilliant. It's brilliant. It's so great. It really made me want to do a double feature of From Hell because from memory, it was I've very got to procedural watch from Hell like again. that again. Um, so I really wanted to, to dabble in that. I also love his little offsider and that little... Love um, that dude. He who just looks lost like his a, dad. a mini Tim Burton. Yeah, he does. He does look <laughs> like a mini Burton and ends up just being a servant for him. Yeah. Which, oh, well, his dad was a manservant, so yeah. It's it's just a natural progression for him. Yeah, I that. love it. Just like, obviously, and scene, you know, the, he's just making a kid carry all the fucking luggage. <laughs> like, why didn't you just get the get the guy to drop you off in front of your house? Why? Oh, let's stop here and do a gentle little walk while you're carrying all my fucking luggage. <laughs> <laughs> love it bus. so much. But I really love the way that that little relationship plays out. 
the it is the a good sort of relationship mentorship relationship. I uh, I do love Christina Ricci in this. Film She's as beautiful, well. isn't she? Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, there's, and there's a way that she looks. So it's be, she's bewitching. Yeah. So you can imagine she is a witch. There's something about her that you go, oh. But at the same time, compared to her stepmother, yeah, you go, well, she's definitely a witch. Whereas Christina Ricci just has this look that there's a sweetness to her that you go. I think they do the whole white witch, black witch, yes. like dark witch way pretty pretty good. They do, don't yeah, they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They really they really reach that well. And it's not, again, like the moment where, you know, he stumbles across the mum in the woods with a guy. Yeah. And she's like cutting her hand and <laughs> making sacrifices and things like that. Um, I actually had to, when I watched it, I just looked away for two seconds and came back and was like, is that Christina Ricci doing that? And then I had to rewind and go, oh, no, it's the mum. It's the mum. Um, which the dude is really strange on a second viewing. He's just kissing her corset. Yeah. <laughs> Jeffrey Jones. Oh, was that Jeffrey Jones? You don't realise it until Jeffrey Jones gets hit and dies. And it's meant and I just realised this watch. Like I always I always knew it was Jeffrey Jones, but he didn't realise that it was a set up reveal ten twenty minutes later in the church where he gets hit. And he falls to the ground and it just zooms in on his hair because it's just lush, his oh, lush hair yes. that you see. And then in the um, church, when he falls and the wig comes off him, then you see his lush hair and you're meant to go, okay. Oh. And she's been having an affair with him. Yeah, or oh, she has an affair with everyone. Yes. Mm. Oh, that makes so much sense, Craig. Thanks yeah, for that. That's awesome. Right. How about, yeah, I'm glad you brought up the church scene because that, little scene where he rips the fence post off brilliant and like that is just that is just chaotic i love the it? fact that it's basically there's a fight inside there's a fight outside there's a girl doing witchcraft on the inside as well yeah and then yeah good old michael gamble just getting done like that he got love it and the color of the blood that he uses throughout the film Beautiful. He's like so, he's got that orange red going on. Yeah, it's almost that old school pig's blood, yeah. but it has a little bit more sheen to it than that. It's, and it's funny because I as love. much sugar in it. I love the opening where we're sort of, it's alluding to the fact that this is blood and then we realise it's actually wax. Ah, uh, that's cool. Yeah, I remember leather. that. Yeah, I remember going, wow, where's the blood at the start? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I was like, oh man, he loves a good opening credits, doesn't His he? His opening credits are fantastic. Absolutely so brilliant. good. Um, I really, really like this film, Craig. Mm. It's been such a, th uh, uh, um, not a revelation because I think this isn't like a, oh, well, that surprised me a lot, say like a Mars Attacks, which yeah. I was like, wow, I'm yeah, blown same. away I'm by how much I like that. But what I probably have loved about this film is the fact that it holds up so well. Yeah. Like considering it's, you know, what would it be, 20, 20, 20 odd years old? Yeah. So it holds up really well. I love there was a little bit of um, personal growth you saw, obviously, from Burton. There's like a little symbolism where you see him destroy his own, you know, the... Um, the windmill. Windmill. Yeah. 
And it's almost that's almost like him putting his flag into. You know, this whole movie strikes me as when you get an an awesome sportsman who finally gets to play in his home ground. Yes, you know what I mean, in front of his home crowd. Yeah, and this is for my home crowd. You know what I mean? And they're always, you know, all like a comedian. They're always that bit funnier when they're on their home crowd because they're more yep. relaxed. You know, they're chilling. They're throwing jokes out that only the home crowd understand. Yeah, and this is that film, and I just yeah. Fantastic. So good. I do love in my research, I found that the tree, the design of the tree and the windmill, there was one other thing. I can't remember what it was. Sword? But. Sword looks like a a dangerous version of fucking Mary Poppins' umbrella. Yes, totally. I was waiting for it to talk. (laughs) um, Those things were actually already designed and they had artwork for all of it and that was part of the the pitch to get Burton involved. Oh, poor this. So those those things were all elements that they were really like, yes, we can get this happening, you know. Um, I love that explosion of the miniature um, windmill. I love it. I don't know why it explodes like that, but I don't fucking care. Not me either. I don't care. It goes, I, and it's one of the funniest lines in the whole film. Where he goes, "Is he dead?" Well, that's the hard part. He was dead to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> I love. I fucking love Depp in his. Film. I a, fucking. There's love another him moment in the film as well, which was like I've learnt that it was an improvised um, line, which someone's like. Oh, you better be careful. You don't want to lose your head, and um, and that was just a little improvised moment in the in the moment. So I I do love that moment. But yeah, Def is so good in this film, isn't it? So funny. Do you think this is? Would you say this is his best Burton performance, Craig? As of now, yeah. I yeah. really don't want to push anything because I was really impressed. Even though it's, I don't hold the movie as high as this one. I am impressed with his Willy Wonka. Yeah. I know he's done. I fucking love Dark Shadows. Yes. Um, And I don't want to jump out just yet and just, you know, say this is it. Yep. Um, But, man, as of now, yes, incredibly. And as from memory, yes, it is. But yeah. I want to so, leave it open to that it might not be. That said, when you think about it, like, he was so good in Edward Scissorhands. He was so good in Ed Wood. This to me is perfect Depp to me. So yeah. Depp always, look, it's not his fault. His look straddle the action hero. Yep. His personality has always been, yes, more towards Edward's hands. And this role needed both. Love it, it needed Edward's hands and needed the action hero. <coughs> and this is why I think it's... Depp's best role because it encapsulates, I think, like what he brings to the screen. Yeah, so good. Like he brings this weird, quirky personality, but inside of a matinee idol's look. And that is perfect on screen. If anything, this is Depp playing his home ground as well. Yeah, you're right. It's like, because it's probably the straightest that he's acted. Mm. In a Burton film. Yeah, know? yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and there's none of that weird, wacky smile, you know, the yeah. twitchy smile, which just pisses me off. Um, there are little elements that you could see could be a genesis of a Jack Sparrow in there. Oh, yeah, look, yeah, exactly. There's that playfulness, you know, and, yeah. the, and there's that action hero confidence. Yes. Which he doesn't really, once again, which he shows here, but he doesn't obviously embrace until Jack Sparrow. Um, but even then, in Jack Sparrow's 
Jack Sparrow's action sequences are always like a drunken dance, you know yes. what I mean? And here it's very similar as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's one of the things with Ichabod Crane, the character of Ichabod Crane is always laughing because he's such a tall man with really long legs and that's part of the folklore of it that he does this fantastical dance, almost that looks like... Um, Jack Skellington. Jack Skellington. Like. Yeah, exactly. It looks, it's meant to look just like Jack Skellington. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, oh, man. Seriously, I'm just so impressed with this film. I just, I know that's um, like the the color settings of this film. It's not dull, even no. though you make it. Uh, even though you're thinking, oh, all these films are dull and stuff. Like that, he, he gets his color correction perfect to this film. It's so interesting. I thought the same thing, Craig, because it it was like when I first watched it, I was like, "Have I colors off on the telly? Mm. You know, are they are they just not?" Have I done something? It's really dark, but at the same time, it's bright. Yeah, exactly. At the same time, it's so it's such a fascinating but perfect choice. I think it, the explanation comes from obviously he is from what you just said is the built sets. Yep. You know, I mean, he's been able to control a hundred percent of the environment. Yes. You know what I mean? Like where obviously, if it's um, VFX, you know. Other people get the control and all that. Yeah. But everything in it, it's a true camera shot of of a, of just of Tim Burton's color pad. It's almost like what you would see if it was a play. Yes. You know what Love I mean? That. And that's what was, that's so that's why it's so bright and dark at the same time. You know what so I mean? Great, great. Yeah, I know it's so good. I just yeah. I gush. So I literally gush over this film. <laughs> it, it is. That's why I, I'm watching this film with a huge smile over my face because I've always loved it. My mum always loved it because she just thought Johnny Depp was hilarious <laughs> and she loves gore and shit. And I just loved it because, like I said, I just love the character of Johnny Depp. I think it, like Ichabod Crane is one of the most just unique characters in the history of cinema. I love it, Craig. I love it so much. I do love that this film as well. You know when you put a film on, sometimes we have it here on the podcast, you put a film on and you're just like, all right, let's do this. Yep. I'm going to have to slog this one out. You yes. know, you probably felt that way in Ed Wood. Um, no, I was excited for Ed Wood. This movie. I felt it halfway through. I put it on and from the moment it starts, I'm like, I'm in for a journey. Same. I I'm paused a- it every time my wife and kid would speak. Okay. You just can you just not? Yep, <laughs> totally. And, and I think that speaks volumes for probably Burton's filmmaking because I actually find most of his films they've all been really engaging. Yes, they are all they they are. Engaging. And so it's not a film that I get ten minutes in and I'm like, oh man, might check my phone. Yeah, I wonder what's happening in the social world. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so this isn't his films. Just for me, are not background noise films yeah they're like put your phone down go on a journey just have a great time do you know what i mean yeah exactly and and so i think craig this might bring us to a uh great part of the podcast where each week we take a look at our cinephile studio (sighs) whiteboard very hard this one and we rank the films rank that bitch uh this is our eighth film at number one you have batman returns batman Edward Scissorhands at two, Batman at three, Mars Attacks four, Beetlejuice five, Edward six, 
Peewee's Big Adventure at seven. Yeah. I've got Edward at number one. Batman Returns to Edward Scissorhands three. Mars Attacks four. Batman five. Beetlejuice six. And Peewee's Big Adventure at seven. Now, Craig would love to know mm. where on earth are you going to rank this bad boy? Very easy, mate. Throw it at number one. Whoa! Oh, Jeff, man, seriously, all the rest of those movies will eventually come and go in my mind. Sleepy Hollywood just has this place in my heart. Hey. Oh, I love it, Craig. I don't know whether I, I love how bold you are. see too much of, like, you know, I just, I love Ichabod Crane. I love Johnny Depp's Ichabod Crane. You know, I guess one of the scariest things when I was a kid, when I was younger, was that animated short. Yeah. Um, do you know what I mean? The, the whole idea of Headless has always been a scary thing for me ever since, you know, Christopher Lloyd in Amazing Stories. And you know <laughs> what I mean? These types of things are just like that. And so, yeah, I've just Sleepy Hollow. It just hits me right, man. I love it. It fucking Craig. hits me right. I love it. I love And just loving it more. Like even I went in down a, a rabbit hole based on the curvy glass. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know the circling curvy yeah, glass? Yeah. It's called crown glass. So, so it's good. actually where um, they use the gra- – where they're obviously making the glass in the old-fashioned days. Yeah. And where they break off the glass, stick off it. Yeah, And that's okay. what makes that curve. Most of the time it's not just that one. It's a whole pattern. Yeah. Of crown glass around it, but yeah. So fascinating. I know, random. So great, Craig. Um, this one's been a really hard one for me to decide where to put it. I loved it, and I actually feel like the unbridled burden that we get in this film mm. is something that, again, I think forward, and I don't know whether we ever get that again. I think maybe Willy Wonka. Yeah, maybe. Like maybe, and maybe Dark Shadows. True. I'm also wondering if, like... I don't think we get it in Planet of the Apes. No, me either. I don't think so. It's going to... That's going to be that's fascinating what I'm, I'm incredibly fascinated now, after seeing this, to see why he goes there. I'm, yeah, me too. I can't wait. It's been so long since i watched Same, that Same, so long. Uh, I think for me, my choice was... Uh, is it going to be number two or number three? Ooh. Maybe number four. I don't know. But I think just having a chat around this, you know, we haven't even talked about the gruesome moment that he hacks away at the tree and there's blood coming out of the tree. Oh, and then the head's tumbling out. The head's out. tumbling out. Yep. You know, this is really, Burton really is going extreme in here, but at no point does it feel ridiculous. No. And I think that balance is such an art. Like, it actually so shows how competent a director he is. Yeah. And you'd hope at eight films in, you'd be getting pretty good at it. But also, like, eight films in, to then finally go back to your genre? Very much so. Like, it's, I, it's almost like he hasn't, and like he said, he hasn't been in this genre. In my opinion, he hasn't been in this genre since he was an animator. You, you're right. It really like it, since like Vincent or or um, the Hansel and Gretel or the oh yes the Hansel and Gretel which is so is like is is like a budget forest the same yep. as this one same color yeah totally Jeff that's fucking brilliant so you, I want it makes me want to go watch 
all his early stuff again oh. because it feels like this is that accomplishment film. He's come full circle in it. Yes. I love it so much. I think, Craig, I'm going to put it at number three. Probably just speaks of the quality of his filmmaking. Uh, so I've got Edward at number one, Batman Returns at number two, Sleepy Hollow at number three. It may be one of my wild cards that I go, you know what, I really enjoyed that way more than I gave yeah. it credit and it goes up. But all those films, like, you know, to have a film filmography that has Batman, Beetlejuice, Mahaz Attacks, Edward Scissorhands, Sleepy Hollow, Batman Returns, yeah. Ed Wood, all in there. It's like... I think I'm just really shocked at how much I'm enjoying Burton's work. Yeah, same, same. And makes me understand why people love his work so much. Yeah. This is the film where it should uh, should be, instead of like Tim Burton's Nightmare for this should be Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. That should be the 100%. fucking title. Tim should Burton's be Sleepy the title. Hollow. I love that, Craig. Mm. That's totally what it should be. Yeah, because you see his signature throughout these other films, but this is just his film. It it certainly is, Craig. And I to love tell him that it was such a random pickup, like you told me there. Well, through yeah. His, you know, through someone else. I love you, Jaeger. Yeah. Wherever you are now, man, I hope you're not drunk or angry he at the world. At, he worked on a lot of big name projects, did a lot of work on Lemony Snicket, films like that. So he has still a beautiful colour palette then still too. Pretty prominent in the in the um mm. in the industry. So Craig, um where can people find us? Man, seriously, go on to um, Twitter and Instagram at FFTL Podcast. If you want to do a little bit more, come on to our um, Facebook page from First to Last Podcast. Yes. Or if you're into hardcore emails, you know, some people <laughs> are. Info at FFTL Podcast, no dick pics. Um, that's not part of the email. Um, Timestamps uh, accepted. www.fftlpodcast.com. Love it, Craig. As we always say, share us with a friend. Like it, subscribe. Give us a review. Subscribe. Yep. Get us wherever you find us. Yeah, exactly. Share it around. We absolutely love you being on the journey. Um, if you like some coffee as well oh, yeah. for this journey. Do you like coffee? I love Jump coffee. on gleecoffee.com.au. Glee Coffee Roses. Use the code FFTL. <laughs> You're going to get a discount. And they've got some great stuff on there. They have these amazing... They sell out really quick, Craig. Mm-hmm. But people need to check it out. The Verve, which is sort of their real great blend. Yep. Uh, Good band. They yes, very Speaking true. Speaking of cruel intentions, yeah. When they're when they're not getting sued. Um, what are they getting sued for? Bittersweet Symphony. It's a Rolling Stones song they used without permission. Oh really? Yeah. That is bittersweet. So that. Oh wow! Mick Jagger, uh, Keith Richards wrote that little line. Oh, I think it's pronounced Jaeger. Jaeger. <laughs> Jaeger. Um, Mick Mick Jaeger. Uh, <laughs> Jaeger. Um, they that the guys at Glee have these amazing. They're like a paper tea bag that has Ooh. their coffee in it. Shit. And they're pre-packaged, and so you sit them on the cup and just pour your boiling water over, and you don't have to it like bruise their coffee for you. Ooh, damn! And you take it out. So, I'm gonna give um, that a bell. Check them out. They sell out FF really quick. Fifteen percent off. Fifteen percent off. So get onto that gleecoffee.com.au. Got some yep. great shirts as well at the moment. I was checking Ooh. out the merchandise. I might be getting big reedy one for Christmas. Uh, now, Craig, 
I'm really excited. I've talked about this being the film that I can't wait to watch Ooh. all season. And we're finally there. And I never liked it when I watched it. Mark Wahlberg. I love Marky Mark. He's there. Paul Giamatti. Oh, yeah. Helena Tim Bonham Roth. Carter. Tim Roth. Estelle Warren. Yes. She's there as well. She was a hottie. I loved her. Well, maybe she still it's, is hottie. It's going to... I don't know. Well, I'm not doing YouTube. Yeah. Uh, NSFW. We're, <laughs> we're going to be dabbling in sure the planet a subreddit. of the... Uh, there will be. Planet of the Apes is our next film, though, Craig. We are jumping into the 2000s head Can't first. wait, man. Seriously, I'm pumped to watch this again. Me too. I remember how scary they were just running about. The, I I think I've mentioned it before. I gobbled up the special features on this. Ah, yes. And they had a, an ape school where they all got taken to school to learn how to be apes. And so... <sighs> I'm so excited for this. I think I'm just hoping it's as great as I remembered it. But a lot of people have cited this as the this is the decline. We're oh, on really? the downhill ro- run. No, so it's not. I don't think it's so not. either, Craig. No. There's there's so many great things coming. Cool. <laughs> Jeff's just getting broken into. Yeah, that was a really strange noise. So this is where I'm just gonna have to do my Ichabod Crane thing. <laughs> and go check it out for yeah. us. Who is it? We've got a giant possum around the studio at the moment. Uh, actually, funny story. When I, I did a trek with my dad through Tasmania yeah. a couple of years ago, and there was this one campground used to stop at the end of every night's trek, and you would uh, set up camp in a little cabin. And they had a warning that which said, please make sure you padlock your backpacks. We have a giant black possum who has learnt how to undo backpacks and people's hiking bags, which you hiked with all your food. So you'd always put them outside the cabin because uh, there wasn't enough room in the cabins. And so people would come out and there'd be this giant red-eyed black possum ripping into people's bags and eating all their food and he just lived in the area and they couldn't catch him. Love that possum. Maybe we've got the giant black possum in in the house tonight and he's cruising around. So... Next week, Craig, we are talking Planet of the Apes, speaking of giant black possums, and it's going to be a cracker, I think. Maybe it's the headed horseman. It may be the headed horseman in the house. Which is really just the dude on a horse. (laughs) (laughs) It's Ray Park. It's it's, it's Australia. We don't do headless. It's just the dude on a horse. That's right. Which is strangely normal at times. Yeah, exactly. It is. It is randomly. I always stepped in horse shit on... In the suburbs, man. Just walking There's the a guy w- around your house that always is on a horse. Yeah, exactly. I've seen him. I know, I see him. I get, this is fucking, is that a guy on a horse? Yeah, you go, oh, cool. That's <laughs> so strange. So, thanks for being along the journey. As we uh, work our way through Tim Burton's filmography, we're probably, we are on the halfway mark. Yeah, we are. Getting on the back end of this season, which has still got so much quality to come. Oh, can't I'm wait. really excited. Can't wait, very excited. So, from all of us here at From First to Last Podcast, I'm Jeff Reed. I'm Craig Killian. And we'll see you next time. See you guys. <laughs>